This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers Oscar Week pod special. Quick warning up front, this interview covers themes which fall outside of our normal focus, but... One of the things that most draws me to football is the light it sheds on the human condition. Occasionally, I watch a piece of culture that is so startling, I want to introduce it to our audience in the hope that one or two of you might find it meaningful also. The Hungarian film, Son of Saul, which is up for an Oscar for Best Foreign Film this Sunday, is one such piece of work. For most of the 107-minute running time, The camera stays fixed in, close up to the face of one inmate at Auschwitz-Birkenau as he charges around the death camp trying to bury a boy he believes is his son. He's been assigned to work as a Sonder Commando, one of the men who were cruelly tasked with driving new arrivals into the gas chamber and then disposing of their bodies, clothing and possessions in the immediate aftermath. I was blown away by the film and its harrowing audacity both in content and style, and the more I read about its young Hungarian director, Laszlo Nemesh, the more I admired this story and began to wonder how he pulled off such a feat. What kind of a 38-year-old would make such a film and go where very few artists would dare to go? What would motivate him to dedicate over a quarter of his life to scrape together one and a half million dollars and craft a project without ever knowing if it would find an audience? And what did it feel like when he proceeded to win the grand prize of this year's Cannes Film Festival and the Best International Film at the Golden Globes? And how has the tumult of the Oscar nomination changed his life as the Oscars themselves await this Sunday? I was thrilled when Laszlo agreed to step in, come to New York and talk to me about his life, motivation and creative process. Here it is then, my conversation with Oscar-nominated film director, Lajlo Nemesh. Our guest today is a Hungarian writer and director whose very first feature, Son of Saul, is among the nominees at this weekend's Academy Awards. We welcome to the pod, and we really welcome to the pod, the one and only... Mr. Laszlo Nemesh. Laszlo, Udvozlet. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I am so elated to have you. Your film was and is my favourite of the past 12 months that I've seen and I've grappled with it ever since uh, the lights went up in the movie theatre. You grew up in Europe. I'm going to ask you, what movies did you cut your teeth on growing up in Budapest and Paris? We were all watching John Hughes films. We were dabbling in a bit of Scorsese. But you were, you were dealing with darker forces there. I know you like Kubrick and Bellator. When I was a kid in Hungary in the 80s, I grew up on big Hollywood films, uh, even for the, from the 60s or 70s. So I actually saw Ben-Hur, for example. Uh, and it was an incredible experience seeing this widescreen presentation of uh, this incredible movie were uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I really grew up, in a way, on American films. 
You're yeah. in Budapest. Yes. You're but watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're seeing Harrison Ford. Wow. What is going on in your mind when you see that? What, what was going on in the mind of the censors? You know, because not all the <laughs> films were allowed uh, to come to Hungary. But somewhere, we don't know the reason which ones were allowed and which were not. Were the big jump cuts in them? No, no, no cuts. No cuts, but well, I don't, I don't know the film. But you know heart, about. But I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. And singing in the rain, also, you know, we. So I grew up on these films, and I, I remember, I, I wanted to become a filmmaker, very early on, and these were in, incredible moments for me. Many of our listeners will be hard to hear that you were a film school dropout. <laughs> Americans love dropout <laughs> stories. It makes I us am. all feel better about ourselves. You quit NYU film school after one year saying you were frustrated. Frustrated by what, Leslie? Well, I, you know, it was a inc- very important experience in my life to go to film school. Uh, I, f- I felt that I had to go to film school, but I already had been an assistant director before that. I was assistant to um, a very important filmmaker, Belatar, from Hungary, and I learned quite a lot. At that time, but I feel I still f- had this feeling that I had to go to film school. Maybe I wasn't right, and that was my biggest mistake, you know, just to um, to to try that. But uh, at least when I when I quit, I had no more illusions. And I think uh, sometimes film schools are a little overrated. You know, it's more important sometimes to go to see filmmakers, try to meet them, filmmakers who who you like. And, and maybe work with them. That's, I think, for me at least, that was the most valuable uh, experience. What were you frustrated by then? Well, I felt that there was no, not enough learning or, or transmitting some experience, but more, I don't know what. We, we talked, you know, in classes a lot, but it does, didn't help anything, you know, for me as, at, at least. Uh, I felt that it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't bring me the um, the right attitude. Meeting film directors was a thing that ultimately transformed your vision. When you won the grand prize at Cannes 2015 with Son of Salt, Ethan and Joel Cohen were amongst the first to line up and congratulate you, while your mother looked on, stunned and beaming. Do you remember what they said? Because I imagine that must have felt surreal after all you'd immersed yourself in to make the film. Well, it was also incredible to meet them, and um, and these were my heroes in a way. You know, I I also uh, parts of my you know uh, education filmmaking, I guess, uh, came from people like them, and and the Coen Brothers films were extremely important for me. Uh, Which ones? Uh, f- the man who wasn't there, for example. I know this is much. You know, th- there are other movies that are more in focus, but there. I really like Barton Fink, uh, Miller's Crossing, A Serious Man. So I, I really, um, I really think that the, the uh, I, I'm attracted more to to a, you know a kind of filmmaking that's uh, that's deep, you know, and I, I uh, not only one layer but several layers in the, in the films, and and especially nowadays I feel that films, you know, are one layered. Or, or we lose the, the, the perspective and the depth. And, uh, and that's why I'm, I'm really attracted to what you call film history, which shouldn't be hit film history. It should be an ongoing process, but I'm attracted to this kind of films that uh, have 
several layers. And I think the Coen brothers uh, make films that way, you know, that touches you on different, different levels. Do you remember what they said to you, Leslie? I remember Joe Cohen saying to me when we were walking off, off stage, he said, where to start? So, um, <laughs> so that, that was very meaningful. And, and the fact that this, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we, this was the first film from Hungary, uh, you know, projected into, um, into the, wor the world of cinema, you know, in a very um, unexpected way. Uh, to be in competition in Cannes for first-time filmmaker is like nothing else. It's 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 really unbelievable, but also extremely scary as a process. So, and when we saw the jury lineup, we didn't know what to expect. You know what? You know we we made fun with my cinematographers uh, before the festival, just saying um, the the Cohen brothers will will just uh, say to each other. What was that? <laughs> you know, what what was this film? Uh, and uh, but it turned out that we uh, our fears were not really founded. It's just that we had uh, an incredible event with with this film in Cannes, and the film really drew attention from from uh, you know many people were interested in this film, and 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 in the, the festival talked about this film. You know, it was sort of focus of the festival. So uh, the Cannes people took some risk in putting this film in competition, and uh, and I'm glad they did it, obviously, but because of the of the of the subject matter, but also because you know this film didn't take the language of cinema for granted, tried to to do something different, and that this thing was recognized, this ambition and approach was recognized. That was very meaningful. I want to talk to you about the decade of your life that you dedicated to making this film. What, what drew you originally to tackle the Holocaust? Well, uh, I always lived in a way with the Holocaust. You know, it, it, it was in my family uh, something very alive, and and that was transmitted to me by my, my parents. I really wanted to make a film about it. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't want you to make the usual Holocaust film. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to convey something visceral to the audiences, uh, something that I had an intuition of, but I, did, I never seen in films. What, is, what, what it was to be uh, an inmate uh, in a concentration camp. What was it like to be in the middle of it? So I wanted to transform the, um, the used cinema as a means to, to, to convey something very, uh, you, know, per, you know, on a perception level to the audience. So that's, that's what was at the heart of my, you know, of my approach. I've read you say that you were tired of the Disneyfied version of it all. You, you've singled out several times in interviews Schindler's List, where the film, you said, simplifies history and is just designed to make the audience cry. There were things that my main actor said and I said that were different. What I said is that I was really, uh, you know, I have big respect for, for filmmakers who, who are, trying to, to tell stories about the Holocaust. So when I saw Schindler's List, it was a big shock for me. But, and it was very useful. You know, it contributed so much to, to raising awareness about the Holocaust. What I'm saying is that 
you know, there, there has been an incredible, you know, tendency to take the Holocaust uh, in many films to, uh, for its dramatic value and not for, to interrogate the very, you know, the experience that the, the individual had to go through. So I didn't, I wanted to, to, to make it harder for filmmakers to take the Holocaust as a subject just to, to use it as a dramatic uh, framework for a story. I really wanted to, to show it to today's generations what it was how, uh, to be in the concentration camp, how narrow the, your possibilities as an individual were in the middle of the concentration camp. To, to forget this kind of approach that you know, you know we know, but what if you, we take you back to the heart of it, to the here and now of it, and you, don't have, you can't have access to the information? So you have this very narrow field of vision, and it's frenetic. It's it's you're you're you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. If you transmit that to the audiences, I think that's that was my my approach. I thought that it would create a sort of new perception of the Holocaust. I mean, you singled out a particularly harrowing lens for the narrative of the film: the the Sonderkommando, or the Jewish prisoners who the Nazis forced to actually work the gas chambers. Where did you first encounter that? Uh, I first met the stories of the Zonderkommandos when I read 10 years ago a book uh, containing the documents that were written by them. So these people who were forced to work in the crematoria to, to burn the bodies by, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands uh, of people gassed, they were, these people actually took notes in secret about their everyday lives. And, I, and people don't really know about them. They don't know about these documents. The fact that in Auschwitz, in the, around the crematoria that were destroyed, in the ground still, you know, dozens of documents must be buried, buried in the ground. But w they, these documents will never be found. So some documents were found, and it just... It's, it's, it's a trace and an incredible experience to read, to read them and to see what these people have to go through. I, mean, I first encountered it in the writing of Primo Levi's book, The Drowned and the Saved, one of the most brilliant essays I've ever read, Grey Zone. He writes about the human need to simplify history into conflicts between two sides. He says it's like a sports game hmm. where there's winners and losers, good guys, bad guys, and good always has to prevail because otherwise the world would be subverted. And Levy, an Auschwitz survivor, he writes about Auschwitz, how there was no black and white, but that everyone involved existed somewhere in the grey zone in between. I'm interested, was that what fascinated you about this making of the film, the moral theme of the potential of evil that lies in each one of us, or was it the Holocaust itself? Well, the, the experience of the camp... I think that was the most important. How, how as an individual, you're taken from your home and you know put into trains and you know just just you have to follow the other people and they, you go into just a building and then you're killed with others. It just it's a fascinating thing to to think about. It's at the height of civilization, uh, the most cultured of you know civilization and and continent europe does this kind of thing 
to to eradicate uh, an entire population. So that, that I think that that that's why I wanted to make this film. But then obviously, uh, the fact that the Zonderkommandos were what you call or Primo Levi called in this gray zone, um, uh, that that's also very interesting. But I think that one should not put the blame on the victims. I think you should really, we should be careful about it and say, you know, the moral responsibility will always lie with the perpetrators, you know. It's not, it's easy to ask why did the, the Jews go to the gas chambers like sheep. But when you're there in the moment, it's an entirely different thing to be in the process. So that's why I wanted to make this film. For those of you who've not seen the film, the movie's shot in extreme close-up, with the camera spending most of its time on the face of the movie's protagonist. We live through his reactions, I and mean, some of the worst horrors are glimpsed only at the edges of the frame, which somehow enhances the emotions and the confusion surrounding the film. I wanted to, to, you know, rely on the imagination of the viewer much more than on imagery. So this this supposed that I had to make the whole field of vision very narrow. And you know what, the only thing I can represent with honesty in such a horrific event in, in, in genocide, for example, is a human face. There's nothing more, you know, meaningful to the audience than a human face. It kind of gives you the reference point. The, the measure of everything that's going on. Because if you just open your, you know, your imagery and you represent everything frontally, like many films do, you only you know, reduce the scope of it, the moral scope of it, because you, you, you give the audiences the impression they can encompass this. It just simplifies it. But when you just show very little and you, you take the human face as a reference, it actually gives the meaning to everything. And, and all the background and the horrors can be reconstructed in the minds of the viewer rather than be shown in front away. I mean, it's a bold choice. We're used to Holocaust films with rope shots, the establishing externals, the barracks, an immediate act of cruelty. Yours just throws the viewer right into the madness. And we're also used to Holocaust stories about survival, a glint of optimism and a sense of future pulled out of the inferno. Yeah, in a way, the so-called Holocaust films uh, try to reassure the viewer. You know, they give the viewer a sort of very safe path uh, from beginning to the end. And we know it's more or less all the time from the point of view of survival. But the survival was an exception. And I really wanted to, to, to show what it was to be inside. And, and inside, it's, it was more defined by death an industrial death, as a matter of fact, than anything else. I've got to ask you, making this film, did it leave you emotionally devastated? Did the subject matter drain you every night when you put your head on your pillow? Or did you just get sucked into the mechanics of filmmaking, the shots, the direction, the edit room, the post-production? When I first uh, went to the... The first day when I went to the set... Um, Everybody was having breakfast, and I said to myself, I had this terrible headache, and I said to myself, I will not be able to make this film. And, and after you know, a while, I had to go, but it was incredible to be there. And I don't really have 
any visual recollection of the shoot. I I didn't watch, you know, what we were filming, because I I, I the only eye that remains in me is the, in a way is the eye of the camera, and that's the memory I have. You know, you get used to it, but at the same time, you don't get used to it, and uh, that's what happened. You know, every every day we would. We, we knew that we had the sense of responsibility, that we were not do, just making a film. And the fact that this film has you know, longer shots uh, in which people you know, really are in a situation, you know, from A to B and then beyond, it just, it's a process. So everybody believed that they were in a real situation, a real place and time. And that helped us tremendously, but it also put an incredible um, pressure on us because we, we had, in a way, the, the experience of, of something that, wa- that went beyond just making a movie. How many days was the shoot? It, it, I had to go down to 28 days uh, with, the, with the schedule. So. so did that headache last for 28 days, or did it come to a point where you are? I mean, in the edit room afterwards, when you're mixing sound... Do you always carry that sense that you're creating something yes. that feels holy? That that's not there's not a, a single moment when I really forget about what I'm what I'm making here. I'm interested in the reaction to the movie. How did you feel the night before the film debut at Kent? Were you relieved? Nervous? Ready? Afraid? I felt incredibly, um, you know, scared. That's the right word. Uh, I I knew that I made this film for something that, you know, that's above me or beyond me. It's just that I, I, I had this, fe- I, I had this feeling that I w- I didn't, I was not enough for the film in a way. But um, but the fact that this film had you know, impacted people so much that the, the the first screening went really well and there was an incredible reaction to it. Uh, made us understand that this film had a life on its own and that we were not controlling it 100%. It just went away from us. You know? Sony Classics brought the film. I think Michael Barker was a gent that acquired it and he said, every once in a while, you discover a debut film where you see a filmmaker who has an energy that's so fresh and so cinematic, it kind of knocks you out. I didn't know he said that, but it's it's very, it's very kind, and and I think that, you know, the Sony Classics is used to films that are, that have got some kind of meaning and and resonance, uh, and a place, and and they believed in this film and they accompanied me. I think that the fact that they they think so highly of this film helped us in this in this path. Not everyone has been so kind, Les. Like New York Times movie critic Manola Dargis lampasted the film as a radically dehistoricized, intellectually repellent movie, suggesting that the white knuckle obsession that drives Saul, putting his desire to bury a boy he imagines to be his son ahead of his own survival, minimizes the suffering of actual prisoners. As a Primo Levi fanatic myself, I've rarely read a review that's come so far from an understanding of the film. 
Well, that has nothing to do with the film. I mean, that, that it seems that it's driven by by something else. Uh, you know, when it's you, you're you're a critic, I I think you have to make a critical piece so that we understand. You just don't issue statements, you know, because it would be too easy. Uh, but this film, I think, is uh, very much grounded in history. Uh, I think everybody says that, even survivors and. Um, and you know, Elie Wiesel said something different, so I, I don't. Uh, Claude Lanzmann did say something different, so I have no fear about that. Uh, I I don't know about being intellectual repellent. I I think I have made this film for the dead and the dying. If that is intellectual repellent, then so be it. You recently won Hungary's first ever Golden Globe, but at home in Hungary, there's been a powerful shift to the right within the political system, occasionally xenophobic, far right. And there's a popular term for the film in social media as, you've got to excuse my Hungarian, holomaku, or a Holocaust joke. Other reviewers have claimed the film is science fiction. And a far right member of parliament recently attacked the film and its government funding saying, the greatest holiday for Jews is the day the Oscars are given out. How has that felt for you to experience in the country in which you live? Well, the biggest Holocaust business was the Holocaust itself, you know. And we rarely t- talk about this, that, you know, uh, the whole, so, you know, the Nazis, b- beside being uh, liars and killers, they were also thieves, you know. And, uh, well, there's the tradition in the world uh, that uh, relies on, the, the, this uh, the, this kind of um, approach, and uh, and it's very present in, in Hungary too. I'm not saying it's not uh, it's not there. It's um, uh, you know intolerance and anti-Semitism are extremely uh, well I- implanted in Hungary, in Eastern Europe, in Europe, and we can continue the list but uh, the f- the fact that it's very open you know and it's it's there in a very open way in the political discourse and that you can feel it in the streets well this is something that's not really reassuring i have to say and uh, i made this film also because you know the the not only 500,000 hungarian jews were deported uh, to Auschwitz in, in the record uh, amount of time of eight we eight weeks eight weeks in forty four but also that this this loss has never been understood by Hungary as by other countries as well but it, the, it you know Hungary has never really understood that you you still live there Leslie yes country that was the last to be invaded by the Germans and as you say did only take eight weeks to ship off yes. half a million with, Jews with the active help of the entire state apparatus and elements of Hungarian society, yes. Amongst those who perished, your great-grandparents. Yeah. How would you do that? How would you stay there? I don't know. I grew up in Paris, I have to say. That that, that gave me a little bit of, um, of, of another perspective, I guess. But uh, I went back for work and... I think I'm, you know, if if everybody leaves, that then what happens, you know? It's uh, we have to resist. Where were you when you found out about your Oscar nomination? We were uh, in the office of the production 
in Budapest uh, with the key creative team of the film. Can you describe to those of us who will never be Oscar nominated or win any kind of award, to be honest, how did that feel after working on this film for 10 long years? Well, first of all, I think it's a matter of work and dedication to arrive here. And that I'm not specially, uh, you know, uh, I have no special talent, you know. I had to acquire talents. I really believe that. And also relying on on the fact that we had an incredible team. And I, I had an incredible team that understood what kind of movie we were making and they gave so much to this film. So uh, so that I think uh, it, it's only a matter of dedication and time. <laughs> if you don't you know, abandon your project, then you carry, uh, carry on with it. It took me 10 years. I could have made three different films in the meantime. I really wanted to make that one because I felt that this was not only meaningful as something to say about the Holocaust to, for today's generations. It's very important but also that it was about cinema and my love for cinema and the fact that cinema is now going in an entirely different direction uh, uh, from the one that I'm interested in, you know, that I'm more interested in cinema that, that uses the viewer as a medium and relies on the viewer and trusts the viewer and less on cinema that shows and gives everything to the viewer because in the, in, in the end it will only bore the audiences. But how did that feel from a validation perspective? You could have made other movies. You didn't. You made this film. You didn't know if this movie would ever even be watched. Yes. And to receive the Oscar nomination, which would have been the film industry, the highest accolade, emotionally, how did that feel? Um, encouraging. That's the strongest word. I think that's, you know, emotionally I am... They, they, the people tell me, just go on. And, you know, we're interested in what you are, even if that, that's something I never heard for years and years. You know, there are so many people like me out there uh, who are trying to, to make films or, or another art form and something different and not, you know, not try, sometimes not succeeding. It's uh, very hard to get through the system or all the systems. So uh, f I got lucky, I guess, but also, you know, just waited enough to, for that to happen, you know, and I, 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 I talk to the right people and around me there's an incredible uh, team that helps me. That's the, I think that was the key also. On Sunday, you'll be at the Oscars at the Dolby Theatre on Hollywood Boulevard. Are you caught up in all that razzmatazz? I think it's very interesting to be part of the, the, this campaign thing, you know, it's... it's um, it's something that I never expected I'd be in, in, in inside, especially with, the f with my first film. Just, it's, it's crazy. But uh, I think if you pay attention to the, to the importance of it, uh, you can learn so many things of it. And also, you know, communicate about the film that you made. You know, that's, that's what I, I, I'm trying to learn, you know, after so many interviews and, and so many, you know, so much time spent, spent with 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 the audiences and Q and A's and and meeting them and and seeing their eyes, but also how to how to speak to them. So it's a very valuable um, experience to to meet the people who watch your films. What is the most important lesson that you've learned from it? Um, I think it's it's really a matter of. Um, 
of 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 seeing that you're really making films for real people and um and that you can f- see the facts of the, of the, of of a film in the eyes of people i think that was the uh the the most touching part of it and and you have to learn to, to live with that you know it's it's an incredible responsibility you had some experience with winning at the golden globes how much thought do you give to acceptance speeches and when you win, do you get up there and you're just immediately afraid the music's going to cut you off? Before going up there, uh, I had to prepare. So uh, I thought of how much time I would have. And it turned out I wouldn't have more than one minute and 15, minute, 15 seconds, maybe. Yeah, they always shaft the foreign film guys. Well, they didn't, but I, I assumed <laughs> I should be not, you know, it shouldn't last more than 45 seconds or something like that or, or a minute. So I, I kind of thought of things to say. And the most important was that what I said about this human face that we should not, not forget because that's what this Holocaust is about. And uh, I think it resonated. It just came in a very, you know, intuitive way. What's Hollywood's reaction been like to you? You're being taken studio to studio right now. I've had a lot of interviews, I mean, meetings uh, with, uh, with people in Hollywood. And that's, uh, in a way, that's a dream come true. But at the same time, I don't want to jump to, into the first pool, you know. I just have to, I have to be careful about what I'm doing, uh, you know, in the future. So that's, that's uh, you know, I have to be, to keep my feet on the ground. It's not, you know, you don't have to follow the first light, you know, the, even if it's very, very shiny and, and beautiful. One of my favorite movies ever, the New Zealand film Once Were Warriors, grueling, harrowing movie about domestic violence in the Maori communities. Within a couple of years, Hollywood had taken the director, Lee Tamahori, and transformed him into a James Bond action movie director. He helmed Die Another Day. Hollywood likes to make great directors who have the fresh voice that you have, according to Sony, likes to turn them into their, their kind of filmmakers. Can you see that happening for you? Well, I, can, I think I want to make films in English. The question is what kind of control I can keep on my films. So for that reason, I'm more, uh, ha- I, I have Stanley Kubrick as a model. <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> it's easy to say, obviously, but it's uh, you know the, the kind of control that that you you must have as a film director uh, is 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 very is crucial, is um, and in Kubrick's case it was absolutely well a total control, but uh, that made sense for the films he wanted to make. Well, I don't want to I don't want anybody to uh, apart from the people I listen to to. Uh, to try to influence the films I make um, for other reasons, for other agendas, you know, I want to to make the films that I that I find valuable for the, for the audiences, and and maybe different kind of films that they can watch already. So uh, I'm trying to think how to achieve that, you know. But that's definitely uh, uh, the model. You've started work on your next film in Budapest. Can you tell us about it? Well, I'm casting and, 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 and preparing uh, a film that's set in Budapest at the outbreak of First World War uh, about the young woman. 
Uh, and it's a sort of a film about the end of, of one civilization and, and the birth of the 20th century. It's not a historical film at all, you know. I, I don't want to make this kind of historical movies. I really want to, to transport the viewer in the, in a, in the present of, of, of a given time. And that's really what's interesting for me. So I'm, I'm preparing it. I read that you said it's about the forces that lie underneath the destruction of civilization. Yeah, it's an ambitious project. What's it like to carry such darkness inside of it? Well, I'm, uh, I, I like, you know, humor. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I don't, uh, I am not that, you know, dark in, the, in everyday life. I just uh, have the feeling that if, you, if I'm a filmmaker, I, I should s speak about things that are important and not just, you know, because I think audiences need meaningful experiences. It's, it's a lie to say that audiences only need this or that, you know, this is sort of pre-programming of the audiences. I think that uh, when I'm in a at the movies and I, at the first image, I, don't, I can't foresee the last, uh, and I don't know where the story is going, going to take me. In it, there's an incredible value, and, and cinema can do it, and that's what I'm interested in. You have the narrowing of cinema and the narrowing of film language that's going on right now. And it's, uh, and it's just so sad. I want to you know, see films that are different. And, and that's why I think my experience is important, can be important for aspiring filmmakers. That you're, if you want to do something different, you should not give up. And you should not give up your, pro your approach uh, when you're making the film. Or, or just... Uh, you know, to please someone, to 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 uh, to change the direction that you want to take, because that's about cinema. Cinema needs new new approaches, new views, new new voices. You and I live opposite lives. I offer lightness on television, but I am drawn to darkness in in my own private life. Last question for you: Oscars Sunday night. What difference will it make to your life? If you win for best foreign film, well, I never. Well, I try not to think about uh, too much about the awards. Uh, the awards are extremely important for the film, for the film, for this film in particular, because you know the, uh, this film get, could have been forgotten or completely, and still a lot of people don't want to see it for different reasons. Sometimes for the wrong reasons because they are expecting a different kind of film. They, they can't really foresee the kind of film that is. But uh, awards really help this film to, uh, to reach audiences. Uh, that, that's an incredible uh, vector. And, um, and given the subject matter and the fact that there's a Holocaust fatigue and there's, the people still don't believe that there can be something different about it, uh, then in this case, it's really it's really helpful to have this the Golden Globe and the, the Oscar nominations and so on. So yeah, that that would make the difference. And in my life, you know, all this process has already made an incredible difference. But at the same time, it always reminds me, and people around me remind me, that the most important things are, you know, the to make films that mean something. <laughs>
Your film, Son of Salt, still in theatres. Thank you for being with us today in the run-up to this weekend's Oscar ceremony. We will be rooting for you Sunday night, you and Mark Rylance. Laszlo Nemesh, Godspeed. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.